Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Today, guys, we have a special guest. We have a treat for you. We have Michelle E. Dickinson. Who is Michelle E. Dickinson? Well, she is a passionate mental health advocate, a TED speaker, a published author of the memoir entitled Breaking Into My Life. After years of playing the role of child, of a child caregiver, Michelle embarked on her own healing journey of self-discovery. Her memoir offers a rare glimpse into a young girl's experience living with and loving her bipolar mother. Michelle spent years working to eradicate the mental health stigma within her own workplace by elevating compassion, causing more open conversations, and leading real change in how mental illness is understood in the workplace. Michelle also knows firsthand what it means, what it feels like to struggle with a mental illness after experiencing her own depression due to challenging life events of her own just a few years ago. Michelle recently concluded her 19-year pharmaceutical career and became an entrepreneur. She has emerged from her own challenging life events with a strong desire to positively impact the mental health landscape with the first responder community, the workplace, and within local communities. So with that said, I present to you Michelle E. Dickinson. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Michelle. Oh, you're so welcome, Clooney. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. It's such a cool uh, platform you have. I love what you stand for. Thank you so very much. I'm just hoping that people will be able to be inspired by your story and um, and by the stories of, of our guests who have lived experience so that we can kind of eradicate and, and change the stigma and remove the stigma from mental health challenges. So. Exactly. Awesome. So tell us more about your profession now, a little bit what, what you do. Um, I see that you've been, uh, you're a TED speaker, which is amazing. Um, so you're a speaker, you're an author, like tell us more about what you do. Sure. Sure. So um, as you said in the intro, I spent 19 years in the pharmaceutical industry and last year I became an entrepreneur mm -hmm. um, and it's been a wild ride. So I, um, because I gave my TED talk and shared my story about caring for my mother, I got really connected to wanting to be more of the change in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, after I gave my TED talk, I was like really empowered and overwhelmed by the power of storytelling and how that had people coming up to me wanting to talk about their, their own mental illness or a loved one's mental illness. And so that really gave me the confidence to say, like, I'm going to write a book because I feel like if I go first, if I, if I can be one of the people going first, then others might be more willing to talk openly about their mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so got really connected to um, going first and telling my story and being an advocate that I eventually um, created my own company called Trifecta Mental Health. 
And so what I'm doing with within my company is I'm helping organizations be cultures of true inclusion for people with invisible disability. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I'm up to. I want there to be, I want leaders to remember how cost, how costly it is for people to go out on disability with a mental illness. So why not do things proactively so their people are cared for? Um, and one of the ways I do that is I have a resilience program that I deliver to both the private and the public sector to help people stay empowered, especially now during the pandemic. Amazing. That is awesome. Oh, it's- thank you. So you're welcome. And so when you were in the pharmaceutical companies, um, was that um, for drugs that had to do with mental health or is just- you know, Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, my mom, uh, throughout my childhood, having bipolar disorder back in the 70s and 80s was very different than having a diagnosis of bipolar today. Yes. My mother had been on so many different drugs. Certain drugs would work, then they wouldn't work. And so she was always constantly on new medication and the side effects were just horrendous. Yes. So when I was sort of deciding where I wanted to work, I was transitioning from another company. I was looking at organizations that were making a difference in the mental health space. And I found myself uh, gravitating to the last company I worked for who was, they were um, in the neuroscience space and they were leading the way in new treatments for people with all kinds of disability, invisible disabilities. Amazing. Amazing. You mentioned that your mother had um, bipolar. I can, I can, I can identify that as a woman living with um, bipolar as well. So how was that experience um, having to care for your mother who had bipolar? Yeah, it was really hard. I will tell you um, I'm, I'm grateful for to see how beautiful people like you who are thriving in the face of a disability like like a bipolar disorder, right? My mother, it, it was a different time then. She was on all kinds of different medications. She had been in and out of uh, mental hospitals throughout my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, she had the rapid mania and then the deep depressing lows where I, all I could do is sit there and there's nothing I could do to have her stop crying because she was just so... Um, depressed uh, mm-hmm. or nervous or upset, um, you know, she would go away to the the mental institutions and have to deal with, you know, therapies like shock therapy. Um, so it was hard. It was really, really, it was a journey to be on that with her. Um, but then when she had her mania, it was like Disney. So I would just want to hold on for the ride because like there was nothing I couldn't do that my mother wouldn't love in those small moments. Um, So it was, it was definitely a trying experience to care for someone. It was like the adult being the child and the child being the adult role reversal, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And would you say her um, episodes, were they more man, was she more manic than depressed or? The other way. She was much more. Yeah, I found that she was much more depressed or, or as a little girl, that's what I remembered the most because I had the least amount of control over that. Like, you know, from your own experience, when you're depressed, there's nothing that someone can really do to pull you out of that. That's really, that's really the most frustrating thing for a caregiver is not, is the inability to sort of ease their pain or ease their sadness. There's nothing you can do. So that. That was the reality. I think she spent most of her time in depression, which is sad. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So my question, so we're gonna dive right into the interview then. Okay. So 
what is your mental health diagnosis? I know you talked about in the bio, we talked about depression. Yes. Um, were there any other mental illnesses and when were you diagnosed? So my story is that I was adopted. So I did not believe that I would ever experience my mother's illness because we didn't share the same um, bloodline or genetics. So I never imagined I would ever deal with that. Sorry, I have a puppy. Um, but I was dealing with a life event. So when I had a, a pretty significant life event come along, I was diagnosed with depression mm -hmm. because you know, and, and it also helped me realize that not nobody's immune to mental illness, right? Like I maybe dealt with seasonal depression a little bit, mm -hmm. but then um, my marriage ended and I found myself really depressed. And because I had begun the advocacy work, I was very comfortable with finding a therapist and I found one mm -hmm. and immediately got myself into care. So I was diagnosed with depression um, and I navigated it. Um, it was, it was due to the life event. So it's not, um, a chronic depression, thank God. Although the pandemic has definitely been challenging, Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. I will say absolutely. But yeah, so that, that was my diagnosis was depression. Okay. So tell us more about your mental health story of resilience. Um, what happened and mm -hmm. how did you overcome? How did you rise up from yeah. the ashes of depression, I guess? So I, I have a very progressive um, clinician, a doctor who treats me. And I remember going to him and saying, I'm, I'm really sad, I'm really depressed. Will you just give me a medication? Because that was what I knew that my mother would, would get a new, new medication when the old one stopped working. And he challenged me and said, I, I don't think that that's the best solution for you. What I would like for you to consider is looking for healthy vices that you can grab onto to try to navigate this on your own, because if I give you medication, it's gonna numb you. And I want you to experience, to, to navigate this experience through life right now. He said it a lot more eloquently than I just did. But basically he put it back on me to give me a chance to try to navigate it. So what I did was I threw myself into training for a triathlon. And, and, you know, I never had done a triathlon. I had like dreams of it. I had done a half marathon, um, barely, uh, several years earlier, but my cousin challenged me, my cousin, him and his girlfriend were doing, um, a triathlon and he's like, why don't you train with us? Why don't you, you know, get yourself on a plan and train. And so, you know what, um, Cleandra, I actually went and I, started running, I started swimming, I started um, cycling, and that required good energy. So it required a good diet, right? Mm -hmm. So before I knew it, I was addicted to this exercise, this, this training, and I was getting in great shape, and I was feeling really good about my body. And I, and all of that is sort of what I use to pull myself up from the dark moments that I was struggling in and the endorphin high, let's just face it, exercise gives you an endorphin high. Yes, so that was helpful. That was very helpful because I knew like if I kept doing it, it's, I'd continue to feel better. So that doctor actually really helped me when he told me to find a healthy vice because it was in the training of the triathlon that I really um, was able to, to navigate my depression. Amazing. Um, I can definitely identify with the, the exercise piece. Um, with my bipolar, I started a, a weight loss journey about a, about two years ago, and I where I was exercising Monday to Friday, 
and the endorphins, the energy, it just, it kind of helped me, number one, to kind of give me a, um, a routine, mm-hmm. a schedule, and, and also just, just lift my mood, you know what I mean, on a regular, and I, I definitely can, I, I understand, I can identify with that, and then on yeah. top of that, um, in regards to the uh, marathon, I've actually run a marathon before. Yay! Yeah, awesome. I did a marathon in Ohio. It was That's really great. cool a few, few years ago. It, was, it took me eight months to train for it, but um, it's- What an accomplishment, man. Yeah, it was- for me, for me, it was about crossing the finish line in the sense of myself that like, I exactly. did that. Right. I did that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I can totally identify with that feeling, that feeling of accomplishment and feeling like, yeah, I, I trained for this, I worked for this, and now I've achieved this. So it's yes. definitely a great feeling. Absolutely. So my next question, um, you kind of mentioned, you kind of um, touched on this uh, in this question, which is what did you have to do to overcome to bounce back from your low points and enlist all resources? Yeah. So I know you talked about the triathlon. Were there yeah. any other resources that, helped you to bounce back um, from you know, your low points? I think the clinician, having a good doctor, I mean, you know, and having a healthy relationship to my brain. And honestly, I think the biggest barrier we have with stigma is people are embarrassed to get care. And because I had always known my mother to getting therapy, I and I was an advocate and I saw the benefits that therapy could do for people so they could, could thrive in their life in the face of a disability, mental disability. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just really comfortable with it. And I, I think um, talking about it helped me, honestly, uh, talking to people about the low days and having a support circle that I could talk to mm-hmm. that, would, that wouldn't judge me, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it was a community of support, a therapist, and then exercise, all of those things really, and self-care. I think self-care, you know, when you're training for a triathlon, it's like you beat your body up a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, so it was like, I got to get myself, I got to take care of myself. I got to take a bath. I got to do things for me to make me feel good. So mm-hmm. that helped too. So when you refer to your support system, like uh, I guess the group of people that can support you, what are some things that you look for um, when you're in your low points uh, from your um, peers to help you to kind of bounce you back out of that? Yeah, just like someone you feel safe with. So like I, um, I had some friends who had navigated their own mental health challenges. So they were, they had no problem being authentic with me. Mm-hmm. So I think it's someone who's willing to be real and not someone who's just there, you know, as a cheerleader who doesn't get it. You want someone maybe, I mean, for me, what worked for me was being able to talk to someone else who had, who knew what it felt like to be depressed, like legit depressed, not like I'm having a, I'm having a low day. No, like okay. legit depressed. Like you can't get out of bed. Like I need to talk to someone who gets what that crappy place feels like yeah. and just be there with me in that moment and not just placate me and say oh just go for a run like no like this is where I'm at right now and I can't even think about that so mm-hmm. it's it's authentically sharing with someone who maybe has been in your, your shoes that really can provide the level of support you need at that moment yeah it definitely pays to have someone who can actually empathize with what you're going through um 
And it even pays even more if they've actually had lived experience because then you have that common connection. Yeah. So yeah, that's just amazing. Um, I'd like to go back a little bit for, um, we, we talked to that you wrote a book. Yes. I'd love to know a little bit more about your story, um, about your book and yeah. uh, how people can get it and what it's about, what inspired you to start. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, here it is. I'll share it with you. It's, okay. um, it's called Breaking Into My Life. Mm. Growing up with a bipolar parent and my battle to reclaim myself. Wow. So as I shared with you before, when I gave my TED Talk, <clears throat> a lot of people came up to me after I gave that talk and they were just so willing to sort of share what they saw in that story, how it related to them and even divulge that they had navigated some type of mental illness or their parent had suffered. So I like that gave me confidence to write this book. This book took me about four years to write. Wow. <clears throat> I'm not even kidding, like four long cathartic years. I believe because, you. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah, you get it. <laughs> um, just because if I was going to write one book in my life, I wanted it to be right. So I spent a lot of time. I worked with an amazing writing coach. She would coach me and I wanted to vividly represent the experience of my childhood because mm -hmm. if I could vividly represent the experiences that shaped me, the good, the bad, the ugly, then I could help people understand what life is like with a mental illness. And that was my goal. Like mm -hmm. I need to take them with me on the journey. I need them to feel what I felt. And, um, but that also required that I relive experiences that I tried to put, you know, away. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I often laugh and say my writing coach doubled as my second therapist because we, we were unearthing some things that, you know, in order for people to really get the impact, they have to walk there with you. And in order for that to happen, you have to relive it. So, so what it is, is it talks about, I, I take you on a journey from my childhood, from the earliest moments where I, my mother had demonstrated signs of bipolar disorder up until um, she passes away. And then I get really present to the impact that all of those experiences have had on my life, but not in a woe is me perspective, more of this happened and it serves me now because I'm a passionate advocate and I want there to be more change and I want there to be more compassion. And that would have never happened if I didn't grow up so close to bipolar disorder. Wow. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. And, and how can people get a copy of your book? Uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, those two, those two uh, online stores are perfect. Uh, it is available globally as well. So if you are in another country, you can pick it up uh, through your local Amazon. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. And um, the next question I have is, what are three things that you wish you had available when you were at your lowest point? Three things I wish I had available at my lowest point. Um, you know, I guess I feel like at my lowest point, I got the support I needed, which led me to where I needed to be. So the way I want to answer this question is as a child caregiver, right? So what I wish was available to me as a little girl growing up with a mother with bipolar, you know, I kept that a secret. I was very protective of the family secret. I didn't want anyone to know. So what I wish I would have had as a little girl growing up with someone with a mental illness was my own care, 
meaning mm. that my parents knew that there, our lives were different and that I needed emotional support or therapy of my own. So my, my wish would be that if there are children out there loving a parent or a loved one with a mental illness, that they're in therapy so that they can separate what is theirs and what is their family's. Right. You know, I couldn't do that. I always felt like it was my fault. She was crying. Um, so at my lowest point, <laughs> I felt very alone as a little girl. So mm -hmm. if I had a therapist of my own and could talk about those emotions and those feelings I was having, looking at my crying mother, it probably would have served me a lot more with my own self-love, my own self-confidence and my own, um, emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. So my next question is, so what words of hope can you give to our listeners? Words of hope can I give to our listeners? You know what? Everything is temporary. And I say that, I say that, you know, I think about um, the pandemic, for example, like this can't go on forever. It's going to end at some point, right? Like yes. everything is temporary and uh, you get to, you get to, write your future. You get to write your present moment, how things go, or you can be the victim of your past, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you have more control over your well-being than you think. I think a lot of people, it's very easy to become resigned, right? I always say to people, get yourself a therapist before you need a therapist. People don't do it, but when you're in crisis, it's really frustrating to try to find a therapist and be in crisis. Yes. So, I mean, you have more control than you believe. And I think, you know, I go back to my therapist telling me, find a healthy vice. So I did, in my case, probably didn't have a severe case of depression, but I had my own depression. I found ways to own my, my health, my well-being. So I think it's really important that we try to reflect on what it is we have full control over. We don't have control over drug, but what we do have control over is moving our body, focusing on what maybe is going to be good that I eat that is going to serve my wellness and my brain, you know, maybe making better choices. So I think it's important to remember that we do have a lot of control over our well-being. We have more than we, we think. So find what you do have control over. That's good. That's good. Awesome. So with that said, we are gonna switch over to the more funner side of this interview. So we are going to talk about music therapy. As you can see behind me, there's a book, um, it's called The Music of My Life. It's my personal story where I talk about music therapy and bipolar and my journey. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is what type of music do you like? Uh, yeah, what type of music do you like? That's my first question. <laughs> what kind of music don't I like? <laughs> You're eclectic then. Plenty. I like it all. I mean, I, I have my moods. My moods are anywhere from, you know, like rock to blues to jazz. I was listening to jazz Christmas this morning. Um, I mean, I like it all. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I, that there's a genre that I don't particularly like even country. I like country. You like country. I do. I okay. like it all. I'm okay. telling you what. I, like I will not judge you for the country. Do not judge me. Please don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that said, I would like you to think deep. Um, if you were to think of one song that best describes your journey, what would it be and why? 
Oh my goodness. That is such a, that is such a hard question. I know. It's such a hard question. I don't know. I don't know. Or any song that you can think of that touched, speaks to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Happy. Happy by Pharrell. <gasps> I mean, like, honestly, it, like, it just gets me, it just, you know what it is? It's certain songs that just make, make you smile and feel yeah. like a little energized. Like that's one of them. If I'm, if I'm in a dark spot, I'll throw that on and play it really loud and that always boosts my mood. So I'd say that one. Okay. Um, it's funny you say that because um, that song, when it first came out, when I first learned about it, um, after I think it was in the Academy Awards, they had they had, they had the Academy Awards and he performed it, and I was actually going through a depression when I heard it, and I heard that song and it touched my it it just like literally touched me so much that it caused me to kind of like um bounce out of a depression but not necessarily bounce out yeah. it took me a month i literally played that song once i heard it i yeah. played that song for one month straight no other songs <laughs> just one song which was happy for one month straight just to, just to get me out of my depression yeah. so yeah that song has a special meaning for me like awesome. and then i actually started a talk show um before this talk show which was called Happy Home 42 because of the fact of that song. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. definitely. Yeah. So the next question I'd like to know is, um, so how can people stay in touch with you? What are your social media handles? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so you can go to my website, everything. I have a mental health series of my own. You can go to my website. It's michelledickinson.com. You can follow me on Instagram. It's Michelle Dickinson 71. Um, and my mental health series, you can find through the link on my webpage. It's just really like you're doing stories of resilience. I think people need to hear that, um, yeah. that message. So yeah, so yeah. Or, you know, my website for my book is breakingintomylife.com. You can, you can follow me there, whatever works for you. Cool. I love hearing from people. I do love hearing from people. So if anyone's out there wants to get some resilience tips, wants to know what life was like growing up with someone, wants to help someone, reach out to me. I'm happy to, always happy to help. Awesome. Yeah, I think your story is definitely very phenomenal, especially um, being a, a child caregiver. That must have been very challenging. And um, yeah. just, uh, you know, seeing mental illness doesn't just affect one person. Um, it affects the people around them as well. Yes. And I know for myself, mental health definitely affected like my, 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 uh, my family, my friends, people in my church. Um, it just affects your community. Like, yeah. um, it's not just something that you're dealing with, but it's also, it also affects the people around you. And, um, yeah. So, sure. yeah. I couldn't agree more. Definitely, definitely. So with that said, and to all you resilient minds out there, until next time, please subscribe to us on all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. At also join the community of resilient minds and sign up for our monthly newsletter at cleonicrawford.com. 
Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. If you can think of one person that will find value from today's show or connect with Michelle's testimonial, please, please share it with them. Feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at OnlyCleone or ResilientMinds365 and today's guest at Michelle Dickinson 71 or First Responders Tactics. And remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, you can thrive, and you can live a life of abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford, and I'm signing off. Oh, 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 oh,